Welcome back to series two of The Detective and this, episode five, What If It's Not Murder? I'm investigative reporter Mark Williams-Thomas and have spent all my working life focused on trying to help victims get justice. This involves investigating both current and historic crimes as well as looking at potential miscarriages of justice. In this series, I'm examining the case of 17-year-old Sana Ali and the conviction of Mindy Sangira for her murder. In this final episode for now, I will look closer at some of the evidence that was heard at court, consider in detail why the police formed the view that this was a murder planned to look like suicide, and explore more of the nature of Sana's injuries. But before we do this, let's consider what defence pathologist Dr Ackland said of the case. This case is not straightforward, and there are problems on both sides. Each piece of evidence, or lack of evidence, seems to be a double-edged sword. Much of the evidence is circumstantial and could easily apply to either of the main suspects. There is a distinct lack of evidence against the accused. However, the danger is the jury may act at being detectives themselves and this could have very dangerous and unpredictable consequences. Mindy's dad explains to me the position that they adopted at the trial. At the trial, we were running... It was to, to prove Mindy was innocent. We were running that um, against a third party, another third party who committed the crime. Um, and with, with the, the technical phone messages, which was quite very complicated because there was messages on the phone that were open and... After, after Mindy had left, so the timing was um, crucial on them because we thought, obviously, if Mindy had left, somebody, somebody else had opened them messages. Well, we trusted the, the authorities, the lawyers. They knew what they were doing. We've never been involved in this, so we didn't know any better. So what did the prosecution barrister, Mr Peter Wright, QC, say as he summed up the case? He said the murder was the final act in a most terrible tragedy. Mr Wright described Sangira as obsessed and said that Mrs Ali's pregnancy confirmed that the relationship between herself and the feckless husband of Sana Ali was doomed. He said it was the point from which there could be no return, no hope of divorce, no life together, and so we say, sadly, the defendant wanted her revenge and that Mindy at first had inflicted wounds on Sana to mimic self-harm to suggest that death was a suicide, but that she simply got carried away, that Mindy could not resist stabbing Sana in the abdomen because she was pregnant. He described the defendant as calculating and deliberate and said Sangira thought she had planned the perfect murder. But her plans had gone awry because she had not planned her escape from the house. She left behind footprints on the kitchen worktop, evidence that she'd exited through the window. Mr Wright posed the question, If Mindy did not kill Sana, it must have been someone else soon after she left the house, and that whoever murdered Sana at her home had deliberately lifted her top while she lay on the bedroom floor and stabbed her in the abdomen. Sasawas QC represented Mindy. The defence's position was that Mr Ali killed his wife after returning home from the mosque when he discovered her self-harming having learned of the affair from Sangira. Miss Was described Saya Ali 
as an adulterous, self-confessed liar and religious hypocrite who tried to hide his relationship with Sangira from his family. She said, could Saya Ali not have taken the knife off her and could he have completely lost his temper being confronted by this woman with whom he did not wish to marry and certainly did not love? And the judge, the Honourable Mr Justice Saunders, had this to say to Mindy in his sentencing. She was trying to make her marriage work and she was 11 weeks pregnant at the time of her death, a fact of which you were well aware. You waited until you could be sure nobody was in the house. You tried to disguise her death as suicide that was unsuccessful because she fought to save her life. He said of Sangira, the degree of distress that she was acting under was extreme. Something that troubles me is how the police formed the view that this was a staged attack to make it look like a suicide. Okay, and how do you how did you get to to that being staged rather than because uh, it pre- presents straight away that one question? If it was staged, perhaps it was, perhaps it was real, perhaps it was actually suicide and, and not staged to be suicide. But how do you determine the difference? Sana, because of the um, pathologist's evidence of the injuries and all the other circumstantial evidence that came out in court and that the jury heard and made their own determination on an 11-to-1 verdict that she was guilty. So it's the circumstantial evidence, it's everything else to do with it, it's the motive, it's Mindy's behaviour prior to, Mindy's behaviour afterwards, and it's also the uh, forensic aspects um, and that she was forensically aware um, and various things were found at her home address when, they were, when the police went down after she'd contacted the inter- incident room and they went down and searched her home address. We have heard the following extract before, but at this point I feel it is worth repeating given how significant the transfer of blood is. Remember, no blood was found on Mindy's clothes that she wore on that day nor were any traces found on her mobile phone or anywhere in her car. It was the opinion of the prosecution's own forensic expert that no gloves were worn when the knife was touched. My view is that having heard all the evidence, that to suggest Mindy wore a full forensic suit, including boots, gloves to carry out this attack, and was careful enough not to allow any trace of blood to be transferred either from the bedroom or onto her, is just too far-fetched to be credible. In fact, even the highly experienced forensic pathologist Professor Vella did not believe that Mindy had carried out such an attack in a full forensic suit. I therefore ask you to consider, did the police just dream up this theory that Mindy was wearing a full forensic suit as the only way to prove the murder charge? So you think she wore gloves when she went to commit the crime? I think she wore gloves... Yes, I do. I think she wore gloves and I think she wore um, a suit similar to what uh, police officers and booties like a police officer would wear when they go in a crime scene. So like a full forensic suit? So, and staying with obviously your theory in terms of the suit, that would mean that she'd have to have taken the suit off at the point of the door or something like that. Um, Is that your belief? Yes. That would be quite a... A, 
quite a task to take on, wouldn't it? To to go and commit a crime and take uh, a suit. Do you, in your experience in investigating murders, which have been many, how many cases would you say where offenders have turned up at crime scenes and put on a full body suit and committed a crime? I would say it's the first one that I've come across, but it doesn't mean it didn't happen and it would account for the lack of um, blood transference outside the bedroom where the incident happened. Let me stay with the interview of the officer that led the police investigation. Surely the police must have been able to evidence the origin of the knife and show that Mindy purchased it or brought it with her from home. No, they were not able to do this. They claimed she bought the knife from a shop in Birmingham but were unable to show CCTV or shop till receipt of Mindy purchasing this knife. I put a theory to the police officer in charge and I certainly felt, given the response that I got, that this had not been something either considered or pointed out before. Well, we didn't identify the exact knife but we certainly had Mindy on CCTV um, in Solihull going into a shop that sells the same knife which is a Tramontina kitchen knife. We have no actual... um, CCTV of purchasing the knife or coming out with it and no exact evidence of how many knives were sold that particular day. The inference, and as I said, there's quite a lot of circumstantial evidence um, that back up the actual factual evidence, um, is that she purchased it that day. Right, but you've got nothing to say that she did purchase that knife. It could just as well be a knife that belonged to somebody in the house. Certainly didn't belong to anybody in the house. We've ruled that out. Um, they did not own a knife of that make. So it was a knife that had been brought to the house by someone. But it could have been Sana's. In in other words, Sana could have brought that into her house, her own, and nobody else seen the knife. She could have kept that knife in her own bedroom. That's a possibility. The police believe that Mindy disposed of the full forensic suit in the incinerator at Birmingham Dental Hospital. They initially saw on the CCTV a female they were suspicious of, presumably because they felt it was Mindy. But after enhancement, the police confirmed that the CCTV showed no footage of Mindy or her car at that location. First accounts from people who knew Sana and from the professionals totally support this as being a suicide. This was how it was reported by the sisters-in-law and what her husband, Sayir, believed had happened. Sayir and his family knew that Sana had been cutting herself. Let's look at some of this evidence, first from the police officer in charge. In terms of the suicide, of course, the, am I right in saying the reason that there was probably the greater belief that this was suicide was because of the phone calls that also came from the sister-in-laws, yes. which was that they phoned the ambulance, two separate sister-in-laws, and both said she's cut herself again, uh, to words to that effect. Yes. Is that building into the suicide? Yes. Number? Right. And then, of course, having the knife laid beside her with the other knowledge, that's leading you to think this is a suicide. Well, it didn't lead me to think it. I didn't go initially. Um, yes, until obviously um, the medical evidence and the pathology evidence um, comes to light. Okay. 
And so until we get to the pathology, the crime scene is telling you this looks like a suicide. Yes. One issue raised by two pathologists is that some of the injuries appear to be self-inflicted. Dr McGuinness said some of the wounds to the wrist and anterior surfaces of the forearms bear some resemblance to self-inflicted wounds. A stab wound to the chest delivered with ferocity and I do not think it possible that the deceased could have inflicted it on herself. Likewise, the abdomen wound. I mean, my challenge to that would be, and it raises the question straight away, is, well, if you think they're self-mimicked, why can't they be suicide? Why would they have to have... If they look like suicide, how do you determine that they've been made to look like suicide, actually, and they aren't suicide? Because they would... The injuries database that is held nationally there's all the research into what injuries can be caused in what different ways by whom or one or more or yourself depending on what the knife is where the the serrations are on the knife what hand you would hold it in could it have been used in that way could it have been used in that way could it have been used anyway so that they look at the whole picture and that's when they make the decision and they're not saying that I mean like you're saying well there could there's some that could be self-inflicted but what they're saying is there are some that someone could have done to themselves but there are certainly some that have happened in the same attack because they're not old ones mm. that have happened in the same attack cannot be done by that person however they hold the knife so there's got to be a third party, either one or more, as mentioned in this well, statement. Well, I've tried all of those cuts, and actually they're all possible if you put your ha- the knife in your hand. You know, and, and the reason I say that is there's no stab to the back, in the middle of the back. Yeah. So they're all in positions where you can get those injuries. Two injuries, obviously, are the most significant ones. And this is this one that's identified as 24, which is referred to as the chest and then the abdomen injury, yes. and resulted in the fatality. Yes. The doctor says that in terms of the abdomen, so the lower one, minimum force was required to commit that, although the chest injury was moderate force. Um, the, what is very interesting is that at this point, Min, uh, Sana's top is wearing a top, we, yes. we know she's... But there's no cut to the top no. at all. So either... She, if she were to have done this to herself, she lifts up her top and cuts herself. Yes. Or the assailant lifts her top up and cuts her. Why would they do that? Well, to make a point of it. No, to make a point that at the time, although she, Mindy is making it look like suicide to, to some degree that it actually does when the initial um, responders get her, but she's making a point. Remember, Sarah is not dead. A conversation is going on between the two of them. And she's making a point of disposing of that child because it's that child that is coming between her having a happy ever after relationship. But we have to assume at that point having had some kind of violence take place. Sana is not a compliant individual. She's not going to say, oh, I'll lift my top up. I struggle to understand how Sana is then in a position where her top is lifted up and Mindy does it. It would have to be 
a Mindy lifting that top yes, up. Yes, and that's what I believe happened. Right, so Mindy lifts that top up. Why does Sana not smack her, hit her? Why is there no physical uh, contact? And you would have, I, I'm assuming when she came into custody a couple of days later, a doctor saw her in terms of injuries. I've not seen a recording of any physical injuries. Uh, Mindy's quite a slight girl herself. You know, these are two quite slight ladies. Yes. Sana must have responded in some... I mean, what this suggests is a completely compliant individual. No, it doesn't, because she wouldn't have... If she was compliant, she wouldn't have all those defence wounds uh, on her hands, would she? She's been trying to stop the knife attacking her, stop Mindy and the knife attacking her, and to fend the knife off by either getting hold of the blade which is shown on the um, incisions on the inside of her hands. So why doesn't she kick, punch? Why isn't the room just damaged in any way? Why doesn't she run out of the room, which is the door is open? Why does she stay in that? And this is the, the, the suggestion of the prosecution. This was a sustained attack. This isn't something that's just... I mean, these are 43 injuries. This is something that has to have taken over a period of time. So therefore... Why hasn't she run out the room? Why isn't Why isn't Mindy? Well, she's her? not capable of running out the room because of her, the amount of injuries. That but she's those got. injuries are so superficial until the last two. They're totally superficial. They are. They are. Some of them well, are. Well, who's to say the last? Those are the last two. Because the pathologist says that that those must have been the last two because the chest or the abdomen, although they can't say which one happened in which order, would have led to not immediate death, but would have led to them going unconscious and falling over. Yeah, but she could be unconscious and have fallen over. She could be on the floor when the rest of... Yeah, but in which case, all those injuries happened prior to those last two. So the, the, the uh, cuts to the arms, the hands, that would suggest a sustained attack. Well, I don't believe... Why didn't she run out the room? I Why don't didn't she believe fight? the cut to the... I believe the defence wounds happened during the attack. The main wounds happened, this is my belief, when you're looking logically how it could have happened, and that the... Wounds to the outside of the arms and making it inside of the lower arms, making it look like suicide, happened afterwards when she's on the floor. So could the police officer in charge and the pathologist, Dr Lum, have got it seriously wrong, causing an innocent person to go to jail? I put my concerns to the officer in charge. I do not believe this is a miscarriage of justice. I believe it was a properly conducted investigation and a properly absolute watertight conviction but it because the person has no previous convictions and it's a complete out of character thing then that gives the question mark to this poor innocent class a student has been framed by the police and i negate that and i and let me be very clear i'm not suggesting in one in one minute or any element that this is a framed situation i think the police did a very good investigation it was very detailed i've seen you know overwhelmingly the, the paperwork what i'm posing the question is is could it be suicide because that's what it looked like and because that's what was reported to you and that is because she had got previous for cutting herself so if you stay with that as the premise that actually everything else afterwards doesn't even come into it. You're told by a pathologist this is murder because it doesn't look. You have to treat it as murder. I'm not suggesting one moment you, 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 you would go, well, hang on a minute. All I'm saying is in the light of day, when you look at all of this, is it not possible that actually that knife belonged to Sana, she'd got previous for cutting herself, and on that day 
she went far too far and she ended up stabbing herself. And that is why... 43 times. 43 times. And in fact, if you look at those injuries, overwhelmingly, a lot of them are just one, 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 which you can just do straight away. They're not deep incisions at all. They're just literally, I've had enough. Don't forget, this is someone who's just been confronted with the true facts that her husband's having an affair um, in, a, in, a, in a devastating way. She's pregnant. And you could, you know, an explanation could be, the reason she stabbed herself in her abdomen is she doesn't want a child with a man who's having an affair and has just found out. And do you know what? She says, I don't want to have his bloody child. And that's why she stabbed herself in the abdomen. And I, what I'm just doing is I'm... And you are... Listen, Jay, I've got huge respect for you. And you're, you're very clear in terms of how you've given your answers. And, and I wouldn't... You know, I'm not expecting you to say anything different. But what I'm just posing to you in the light of day, is this... Could this be actually what it looked like? And that is suicide. If it was a suicide, then... This would be a real travesty that the young woman is in jail for murder. As any case is, if it is proven that that person has been wrongly convicted by a court, um, any miscarriage of justice is. But who is to say this is a miscarriage of justice? Because you can unpick any case and put other theories um, after the event. It's very easy to look at an investigation and unpick it from the back forward. I totally agree, and I, and I think you know the position that you took as far as the police investigation was very good. It was a very thorough investigation. You're told by pathologists these aren't self-inflicted injuries to the extent it's murder. You investigate it as murder. I think you know when you look in terms of miscarriages of justice and appeals, this is because years later someone looks at it in a fresh pair of eyes and goes, "Well, actually, could it be this?" And I, the one thing I always come back to is that it, when when it looks like it's something. It probably is. If it looks like a duck and it quacks, then it probably is a duck. <laughs> if it looks like suicide, the knife's laid there beside them, it probably is suicide. Well, that's your theory. You can decide what you think about the answer the police officer has just given me. But that response, I think, says it all. The case of 27-year-old Ellen Greenberg in 2011 provides a valuable insight into the stigma associated with suicide. Ellen was found alone in her locked Philadelphia apartment, a knife plunged into her chest and many other stab wounds. At first, police said she committed suicide. Two days later though, the medical examiner called it a homicide. Several weeks after that, it changed again deciding that Ellen Greenberg had committed suicide by stabbing herself more than 20 times. Eight years later, her parents refused to accept that it was suicide. Suicide or homicide? Experts still can't agree how a teacher died in her Maniunk apartment nine years ago. Was it murder? Or suicide? That's the question a grieving family is still trying to get answered. A newly engaged woman, excited for her future, is found dead in her apartment with multiple stab wounds. But officials ruled it a suicide. Could that even be possible? In January 2011, Greenberg was found dead in her Philadelphia apartment with 20 stab wounds to her head, neck, and torso. 
Her death was ruled a homicide, then changed to suicide after investigators found no evidence of an intruder or signs of a struggle. Muslim mental health professionals have written about the deep-rooted stigma around suicide in Islam, so much so that many U.S. mosques still refuse to perform funeral rites for Muslims who die by suicide, as they see it as a sin. In criminology, the combination of frustration, violent aggression, often homicidal thoughts, is well known as a quality of suicide and is characterised by numerous stab wounds. Dr. Hendon describes suicide as self-punishment. Remember, in this case, Sana had just been told that her husband was having an affair for years. She was just 17 years old, 11 weeks pregnant with her husband's child, and her family were concerned for her welfare. Sadly, very little research exists that focuses on the differences between the injury patterns of suicide and homicidal deaths that have occurred by sharp force injuries. That said, some interesting research was published in the US in 2008, which focused on suicide by sharp force instruments between 1995 and 2005. It considered 65 suicide cases due to sharp force injuries, a cut or a stab wound. Of the 65 victims, 49 were males and 16 females. A history of psychiatric disease was found in 11 victims, with depression being the most common disease followed by schizophrenia. And of the 65 cases, 8 victims had a history of previously attempting suicide. 46 cases had more than one sharp force injury. Cutting injuries were predominantly located on the inside of the wrist, followed by the neck. Stab wounds were most commonly located in the chest. Tentative wounds, which were superficial cuts or stab wounds, were present in 57% of cases. And fatal cut or stab wounds, localised in the trunk area, chest and abdomen, were found in 28 cases. And 61% had no clothing damage. The problem for pathologists is that suicide by self-stabbing is uncommon, so not often seen, constituting only 2-3% of suicide attempts. What is clear is that the number of wounds should not have been seen as an eliminating factor of suicide, but I suspect very few pathologists have studied death by multiple knife wounds in cases of suicide like I have for this investigation. So is it possible that the wounds that have been described as defence could have been self-inflicted? The pathologists involved to date say not. But my concern is that they are making this decision solely on the basis of the number of wounds, given the complete lack of seeing fatal knife suicide wounds or being aware of the cases around the world. And the belief that Sana could not have stabbed herself with the force that was used so I decided to carry out a filmed reconstruction. I wanted to test two things. Firstly, could Mindy have caused the injuries to herself? And secondly, how easy would it have been for Mindy to have caused the wounds to Sana? I have the post-mortem photographs, so I am able to replicate the exact location of the knife wounds. The results are compelling and show that the wounds are all able to be self-inflicted 
and although there were 43, they are much easier to have been done by Sana than by an assailant, in this case Mindy. Please go to our website, www.the-detective.co.uk and you can view the video and judge for yourself. As an investigator, there are moments in a case when you know you have found something very significant. They are rare, but when they occur, the result is an incredible high and makes everything worthwhile. It was as a result of studying for the reconstruction, the photographs compared with Dr Lum's statement, when this new evidence jumped out at me. Dr Lum's statement described 43 wounds, but only gives a direction of origin for three, numbers 2, 6 and 24, where he stated they originated in the 2 till 8 position. The term 2 till 8 means that the tip of the blade is at 2 o'clock and then the angle of the blade and handle is downwards towards 8 o'clock. This consistency and direction, I say, is more likely to have been caused when self-inflicted because when subject to a frenzied attack, the direction of entry is much more likely to vary. From speaking to Professor Vella, he says that it is a failing of the original pathology that a direction of origin for each wound is not noted. And secondly, and more crucially, Dr. Lum, in his statement, used computer drawings to mark up the exact position and direction of Sarna's wounds. Only the problem, and it's a major one, is that Dr. Lum's statement is neither accurate nor correct. Wound 6 occurred to the left shoulder, just above the armpit, yet Dr. Lum, in his statement, placed the same wound some distance away towards the left neck. For wound 24, Dr. Lum placed it above the nipple on the left breast. However, it was in fact towards the centre of the breast line of the left breast and again some distance away. And there are more inaccuracies. Dr. Lum, in his evidence, draws wound 11 and 12 in the wrong location. In relation to wound 11, he has also placed it in the wrong direction. Wound 27 on the right lower arm, Dr. Lum placed both in the wrong position and wrong direction. And finally, wound 21. Dr. Lum completely missed this off his drawings. I believe the accuracy of a pathologist's account is crucial. Such a profession requires absolute precision. Yet Dr. Lum has provided as evidence a statement that places five wounds in the wrong place, two in totally the wrong direction, and omits one totally from his drawings. It is clear from examining the Italian case and US research that what can present itself as homicide could be suicide and vice versa. The victim's background, victimology, is really important and must be carefully considered. Sadly, Dr. Lum, although invited to respond to these findings, has chosen not to do so. I'm really keen to speak to Saia to understand more about Sana's mental health and why they were so concerned about her on that day. I also want to discuss with him 
if he has considered that she could have taken her own life, given she had a history of self-harming, and ask him, does he really believe Mindy, his lover, could have carried out such a brutal murder? I've got hold of the telephone number of the home address. This is where Sana was living, Saeed's parents. I'm going to give them a ring and see if they can tell me how I get hold of their son, Saeed. Hello. I wonder if you can help me. I'm trying to get hold of Saeed. I know he's back in Pakistan. Is there a way of getting hold of him? So I just need to track him down. Have you got an email I could get hold of him on? Uh, no, not really. Uh, a phone number? No. Uh, uh, how can I get hold of him? What's the best way? You can't. Nobody gets hold of him. Why is that? What, what, what is it about? I'm making this podcast in relation to the very sad death of Sana, and I need to speak to Sayer about it. You will hurt us, you will hurt him. No, there's no intention to do that. I've not let this happen. Right. Well, it's, very, it's obviously a very distressing thing for all parties. I totally understand that. Uh, yeah. But it's really important that I do this for everybody involved. And, it doesn't, you know, doesn't matter how important it is. I will not let this happen. This happen. Okay. I just don't want to bring the... the this, this will never, this, these memories will never go away. So. No, I understand that. I do understand that. I have to you know, finish this call. Thank you very much. Could you pass a message to him for me? No, I will not. Please, because I want to be able to be very clear in terms of what I'm doing. So what I don't want to happen is obviously a position where he suddenly finds out about this podcast being done. So I want to tell him exactly what's in it and explain that process to him, which I think is really important that he gets that opportunity. So I want to be able to do that. So how do I do no that? No matter how you say it to me, I will not allow that to happen. Okay. Okay. Can I send it to you to send to him? Uh, you can send it to me, uh, but I will not forward it to him. So that was Saeed's dad. Very disappointing. But I too understand bringing this all back up again is very stressful and hurtful for the whole family. It looks like I'm not going to be able to get hold of Saeed through the family. I'm going to have to try my other ways of getting hold of him, which will be difficult, but I'll try. So I've tried to make that approach. I do totally understand how difficult it is for them. But if Mindy is in jail wrongly then that needs to be put right. We know that Sayer had been having an affair with Mindy for a number of years and that the police and others strongly believe there were other women in Sayer's life. I have found out about a very interesting complaint that Sayer made to the police in the summer of 2005. Sayer made a complaint to the police that he had been receiving threats to harm him via text messages, these coming from an anonymous female but all is not as it seems. It transpired that this was not the situation when Sayer tells the police that it is actually his girlfriend Miriam who has been receiving threatening text messages. Sayer refuses to tell the police Miriam's contact details and says she does not want to talk to the police herself. The police close the case, understandably, without any further investigation. So who was the anonymous female contacting Miriam? Sana? Mindy? or perhaps another unhappy female. I'm now even more keen to talk to Sayer. I've tracked down a friend of Mindy's, who I'm told talked to Sayer in a nightclub a few years ago. 
Um, I certainly wouldn't have expected to see him again because he's not particularly, well, he was never really one of my friends, more in the same friendship circle. Um, and I didn't keep in touch with him at all after university, but I um, bumped into him once um, since then. Um, and that was on a night out in Birmingham, um, which was a real surprise. I wasn't expecting to see him at all. Um, and he obviously saw me as well and came over to me and was talking to me um, along the lines of, hey, it's been like such a long time, how's life, how's things? It's really casual and friendly. And I was really taken aback and pretty shocked at his approach because I didn't know whether or not he knew that I was you know, in contact with Mindy or supportive of her. Um, and I think I remember asking him something like, how are you, like, okay chatting to me like this, or something like that. And um, he'd said, oh, you know, well, that was years ago, and you've got to move on, and something along those lines, like, really flippant about the situation, and it really took me by surprise, because um, if that had been the shoe on the other foot, and I was confronted by, well, not confronted, but, you know, in front of the friend of someone who was convicted of the murder of my husband I certainly couldn't talk to them that way and in fact I was so taken aback by his approach and the conversation that I left immediately and went home it's crazy like Min has been convicted wrongly in my view for the murder of his wife but why would he like just so flippantly be like well you know that's kind of in the past let's move on um I don't know all people are different but that's just weird to me I have shared everything from my investigation with Mindy's parents well, we trusted the, the authorities, the lawyers. They knew what they were doing. We've never been involved in this, so we didn't know any better, 100%. You know, it shed, you've shed some new light on this case, and um, we can just hope that the criminal, rate, criminal Review Case Board look at it you know, with a different eye now. We believe Mindy is innocent. There's no forensic evidence to suggest that she's committed this crime. She's always told the truth, and so we need to overturn this conviction. So what is the truth? One would expect that to suggest that this is a miscarriage of justice and Mindy not guilty of murder would mean that someone else must be responsible for killing Sana. But this is a very strange case, and not what I believe happened. Mindy was convicted on purely circumstantial evidence and police theory, and I believe this podcast shows with its careful forensic breakdown of all the evidence, that this was in fact never a murder. That Sana, who had a history of self-harming and whose family was seriously worried about her, tragically took her own life. Our reconstruction is compelling and shows clearly that this should have been done by the police and experts back in 2007. Had they done so, they would have seen how easy it was for Sana to have caused all 43 injuries to herself and how much harder it was for Mindy to have caused these injuries. Furthermore, our investigation has highlighted the inaccuracies and unreliability of the statement produced by the pathologist Dr Lum. My reinvestigation is not over. I believe strongly that Mindy should never have been jailed. We have approached new forensic experts who are specialists in knife wound injuries and presented them with all the new evidence. Mr Stephen Camlish QC is now involved in undertaking a review of my evidence with a view to launching an appeal. This 
was episode 5 and for now the end of series 2. However, we will be back soon with episode 6 in which I very much hope that we will have moved one step closer to getting justice for Mindy Sangira. You have now heard all the evidence from both sides. So what do you think? Is Mindy a very dangerous killer? Or was this a tragic suicide leading to a miscarriage of justice? Please do let me know your thoughts. You can get in touch via our Twitter page at The Detective FM or via our website www.the-detective.co.uk. On the website, you can see the reconstruction videos, read statements and see the photographs of the case. If you have enjoyed this podcast series, we ask that you please tell your true crime friends to listen and subscribe to our channel. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon with our next investigation for Series 3 of The Detective, which will investigate the oldest missing person case held by the Metropolitan Police. What happened to Mary? Do you think she could have been killed on those that over that period of New Year's Eve, New Year's Day? Well, your head tells you yes, because that's what nobody can find her. But your heart tells you no. No, she's out there somewhere. And she she's fighting to get in touch because she's a fear of rejection and what we're going to say to her. In 2016, I had a phone call from the police up in, I think it was Edinburgh. Um, I don't want you to get too excited. He said, but somebody... A woman came into the police station today asking for our help. We asked the lady's name and she said her name was Mary. They said she looked like a lady in the 70s. How much do you miss Mary? I can't put that into words. There's such a hole there and she might not want to jeopardise what she's got and we understand that. This episode was written, produced and recorded by Mark Williams Thomas, edited by Martin Kays and the music by Dylan E. Pager. The Detective is an original true crime podcast brought to you by Acast. <laughs>